I want you to put yourself in Paul's place today. So Paul's writing to this Corinthian church, which is a hodgepodge of all kinds of people, some living good, faithful Christian lives, many living all kinds of sort of messed up lives, bringing all that stuff into the church. Paul's trying to speak a little bit of sense into them, teach them how to be uh, moderate in their worship and faithful in their service. And uh, he's having a job. He's having a bit of a job on because uh, he has to write a second letter to them. And he actually writes... So, so historians say three letters to the Corinthians, but we've only got two. But there's a lot of debate about that. But uh, we will read from uh, the first verse of uh, chapter 2 of Corinthians. And uh, this is Paul saying this. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however... Speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things of God has prepared for those who love him. These, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way... No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining the spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. You might be thinking, what's all that about? And I don't really understand what he's trying to get at. And uh, really, myself and Moses, we're going to try and put that in, in, in simple terms uh, this morning. But hopefully in terms that give you an encouragement to actually go away and say, I can hear from God. I can respond to God because that's exactly what God wants us to do. There's a very recent survey. It's only been done this year in, 20, in 2022. And it's a survey of Christians in the UK asking them all kinds of questions. One of the questions is, have you led a friend to Jesus? Have you led someone who you know, whether they be a work colleague, a family member, a neighbor or a friend, have you led them to Jesus? And the results are 87% of Christians 
have never done that. 87% of Christians have never led anyone that they know to Jesus. And uh, they may have played a part in it. Who knows? We have to be faithful. But 87% of people have never led a person to Jesus. How many people here have led their friend or their neighbor or a family member to Jesus this morning? Okay, quite a, I would say that's more than 87%. Praise God that we're kicking that trend. But uh, still, quite a lot of people have never experienced, well, it's, it's nothing but a joy, is it? It's nothing but a joy. You know, I, I had a very tough friend who had a million questions. He was such a deep guy. And, uh, I mean, some of the questions I had no idea where to start answering. I, I just did not have a clue. But I, I prayed for him. And I prayed for Martin. And I prayed that, you know, uh, you know, some of my words might get somewhere with him. And I tried to sort of, like, live out Jesus. And uh, he was, uh, he was a, a person who'd come to visit me often. He worked for the Prince's Trust. And uh, every so often he'd, he'd make a phone call and he'd say, can I have an appointment with you? And he'd come. And because I, I ran a fairly big youth group in, in that day, um, he, he, he wanted to give me money, which is always good, isn't it? Uh, but obviously you always, you always had to uh, meet a criteria of the Prince's Trust. And uh, so one day he turned up and he said to me, Andy, I've got £10,000 that I want to give you. I thought, oh, great. And he says, but, um, but I really want to give it to you because at the end of this tax year, Prince Charles will claw all that money back and, uh, and it'll be wasted. So I want you to, I want you to have that money. So, uh, so do you want this money? And I looked at the criteria that he wanted to, to, to fulfill. And I said to him, do you know what, Martin? I can, I can do £4,000, but I can't do £10,000. And he'd, he'd, he'd scratch his head and he'd look at me and say, what, you, what, what do you mean? I want to give you £10,000. I said, yeah, but honestly, I can only do £4,000 worth of that criteria. And I'll write you a report and everything like that, but I'm not going to fiddle it. I, I, you know, I would feel wrong about that. That wouldn't be right. So I'm not going to fiddle it. Give me £4,000 and we can do some great youth work with that, but I can't do £10,000. And he said to me, you, you are weird. You, you are so weird. What I didn't know, he then left my office and he went to see a Baptist friend of mine, Duncan. And he said exactly the same to Duncan. I want to give you £10,000. Duncan said to him, I can only do £4,000 with. And he was properly scratching his head. And uh, anyway, a few weeks later, he rung me up and he said, uh, is your church open at... Uh, uh, one time during the week, um, but I, I don't really want a lot of stuff going off. Can I come and see you? So I said, well, um, yeah, you can come and see me, Martin. No problem. Um, Wednesday, you can come. I'll be, I'll be in church Wednesday evening. So Wednesday evening, I didn't realize he'd invited Duncan as well. Duncan showed up, and I'm like, Duncan, what are you doing here? He says, oh, Martin's invited me. I said, oh, this is a strange one. So Martin came, and we were the only ones in the church, and I said, uh, okay, Martin, tell us the story. And he said this. He said, I've been a very angry man nearly all my life. I lost my parents fairly early on in my life. Uh, I then got married. I had a daughter. Daughter died. My wife's battling cancer at the minute. He said, and I'm a very, very angry man to God. 
He said, and I don't mind telling God that I'm angry. He said, and the other day, he said, I was walking my dog along the path in the woods. He said, and I was shouting angrily to God out loud. He says, and I was shouting to God, what kind of a God are you? What kind of a God are you who took my parents early and took my daughter early and my wife's poor, uh, poorly battling with cancer? What kind of a God are you? He says, and I got to actually the path that I was walking on, he said, walking the dog, came to an abrupt end. It just finished. So I thought, well, I'll have to turn around and go back the other way. He said, and I turned around and almost 3D in front of me, after I'd been shouting out to God, what kind of a God are you, was the letters that spelt out awesome. And he says, the hairs on the back of my neck just stood up. He said, and I felt God was there telling me, I'm an awesome God. I'm an awesome God. So I said, so, so why are you here then, Martin? He said, I want to give my life to Jesus. He said, you two, he says, even though I called you weird, he said, you two, you've got something that I haven't got. And he says, I, I, I want that because you guys, you've got honesty, you've got integrity, but you've got something else as well. I said, well, that's Jesus. We shared a little bit with him. And then he, then he said, well, I want to pray. I want to invite Jesus into my, my life. I said, well, go ahead. I said, you pray, and we, we'll, we'll just say amen to it. And you know what? He'd got no church background whatsoever, and he knelt down in front of us, which was a little bit weird, and, um, and he prayed this prayer. And he prayed the most eloquent sinner's prayer that I could have taught anybody. And yet he prayed it himself, which was wonderful. And then he looked up and he said, what do we do now? And I looked at Duncan and I said, to, I said well, you know, um, I'll tell you what we do now. I said, we go for a Chinese. <laughs> so uh, it's not in the Bible, really, but, you know. So we walked up town in, in Leeds and we went and had a Chinese. And we talked, we talked about faith all night. And do you know what? Me, me and Duncan, we floated up to that, that Chinese uh, takeaway, well, restaurant. And uh, it was absolutely, and it's such a joy when you lead people uh, to Jesus, when, when, when you're part of their story and you, you're there when they actually give their life. And do you know what? It gives you uh, an enthusiasm, an impetus, an encouragement to then share it with other people. Martin's a hard guy. He'll tell you that himself. He had all kinds of really deep, deep questions, and lots of them I couldn't answer. I was absolutely lost, and yet God did a number on him. God showed up. God spoke into his life, and I don't really, I don't want to say I'm okay with that percentage of 80, 87% of people, of Christians, uh, not leading a friend to Jesus. I want, I want people to lead their friends to Jesus. If I had a vision for you guys as Derby City Church, it would be this year, starting from now, by this time next year, you've led a person to Jesus. And for us to get stories of people leading their friends, their family, the hardest colleague that they work with, the most disruptive neighbor, uh, maybe they're even their enemies to Jesus. Wouldn't it be fantastic if we absolutely booked that trend 
you know, wow, we'd double in no time. We'd have a problem on, wouldn't we? We'd have to have multiple services or a new building or who knows. But that would be absolutely fantastic if we did it. But all for, all for God's glory. You see, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says, God wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So if that's God's heart, if that's God's heart, we need to be encouraged when that difficult person comes with a really difficult uh, question. When that person at, at work who comes who's been a staunch atheist all their lives. We need to be encouraged that, well, God loves them. God's, God's into the business of changing their heart or bringing things about in their lives that will change their thinking. So let's partner with God. Why, do, why don't we just do that? God, your heart for them is more than my heart. Even your very greatest loved one who you know who's not yet a Christian and it breaks your heart that they're not a Christian yet, God's heart for them is more than your heart. So don't be downhearted, don't be defeated. God's heart is for them. But one of the biggest hurdles in sharing our faith is, well, is fear. Three types of fear. Fear of rejection that we're going to get either put down or ridiculed or something like that or just rejected. Fear of inadequacy, that we're just not brainy enough to answer all these sort of like superb questions that they come out with. Or fear of our own eloquence, that we'll get tongue-tied or we'll not explain the gospel exactly how it should be explained or anything like that. But what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians that we've just read? I came in fear and trembling. This is the apostle that met Jesus on the road. road. This is the the apostle who Jesus spoke to and said, why are you persecuting me? He's then be given the job of being apostle, planting churches all around uh, Asia Minor and all around there. And yet he comes to the Corinthians in fear and trembling. He comes with not wise and persuasive argument. He's not, he, he wouldn't get on University Challenge, the Apostle Paul, not in this vein anyway. He was a very brainy man, but he, in some ways he felt like all his eloquence had got lost. He dried up. And what does he come with? Well, he says he came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Tie all them things together. You know, if you just look at that, that one line in isolation, I came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. It sounds like he came with confidence and he strode in there and he told them exactly what God was going to do and God did it. But actually, tie them all together and actually he came with fear and trembling. He came with not wise or eloquent speech. He was, he was stunted. So he was completely reliant on God completely reliant on God. He was empty of himself and he was reliant on God to do the stuff. I have, I have a constant ringing in my ear. Tinnitus. I don't know whether you have tinnitus. It's, a, it's an awful thing. It's an awful thing. It's just constantly ringing in your ear. But actually, I get on with life. Sometimes I, I ignore it. Sometimes I, I, I don't think it's there. And then suddenly something happens and suddenly I, I hear it again and it's annoying and it, it's just there, just ringing in my ear holes. I went to a concert last night. I got a double ringing in my ear holes. But, um, 
But I learn to live with it and I just get on and I ignore it. But it's constantly there. And do you know what? I do that with God sometimes. God's always communicating. He's communicating to me. He's communicating to you. He's constantly whispering things in our ears, giving us opportunity to do a good work or say an encouraging word or offer a word of knowledge or just, just, just be nice and kind and patient with someone. And yet, we learn to sort of like screen God out, don't we? Like spiritual tinnitus. Yeah, we know you're there, God, but... And we learn to ignore that little voice that's telling us to step out and, and act and do something. And you know what? Sometimes we hear that voice and we still ignore it because we're scared, because we've got fear. Oh, God, do I really have to do that? Do I really have to do that? Do you want me to do that? And we have this little conversation with God. But you know, when we do it, when we actually step out and do it, God shows up in a gracious, amazing way. God does some powerful stuff. And I'm going to invite Moses up now because he's going to share some of the stories of, of what's happened to him when he's actually stepped out. And then we're going to come back and hear it a, a little bit more. But uh, bless you, Moses. You continue on. Thank you. Yeah, the back. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Andy. Yes, you know, we, we just sang that song, um, There's an Army Rising Up. There is an army indeed rising up. And God wants this fellowship to be part of that army. Amazing things are happening all over the world. And what's the, the difference between those places that are seeing what is happening? It is just doing things in a very simple way. Jesus says, follow me. Imitate me. Follow me, do what I do. And this is what these people are doing. In John 20, 21, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. How did the Father send the Lord Jesus? The first thing the, Lord, the Father did was to affirm him. You are my son in whom I am well pleased. That was before Jesus ever did anything. And then the second thing was, he was baptized with the Holy Spirit, with the gifts and everything that, that, that followed. And the same thing happened to the, um, to the disciples. And the same thing is happening to us. As the Father sent me, so sent are you. So the thing is just to allow the Lord to do what he wants to do and to do it through us. He has affirmed us. When we become born again, it says, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. We have become righteous. So all the things that we talk about, about allowing God to do things through us, it's not so much that we can score brownie points to go to heaven. That is something. That is in his hands. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. But what he's saying is that now that we become part of the family, let's play our role in the family. Let's contribute our bit in the family. And that is what people are doing, that they are actually playing their part in the family just by doing what the Lord Jesus said. In um, 
Matthew, Matthew 28 it is. The Lord said, you go. Now that go is not a suggestion. It's not a, a request. It is a command. And what do you do with a command? You obey. The Lord obeyed his father and accomplished his purpose on earth. And if we are to accomplish what we are meant to do, we need to obey him too. So that, that obeying, it's important. Because uh, what the things that we'll be talking about, hearing the voice of God has to be with obedience. It doesn't matter how much you hear. If you don't obey, it's of no use. And um, the Lord tried to emphasize this um, issue of obedience by saying quite a few things. For, for example, he says, um, if you say you love me, then obey me. It's very blunt. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you won't do what I'm telling you to do? And he says, look, I don't want to save you just for you to sit down there in hiding or whatever, waiting for me to come and take you. Occupy till I come. Do something. Your salvation is sorted with me, but I want you to do something. He said, we are his weapons of war. We are his battle axes. It is with us that he will change the world. And people are doing that. Amazing things are happening because people are obeying. Can you imagine that? with all that is happening in the U.S., there are places where people will stand in the rain for four hours just to listen to the gospel. It is happening. It's like Isaiah prophesied some 2,700 years ago, um, arise and shine, your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. He said there will be darkness on the earth, there will be darkness everywhere, but the glory of the Lord is risen upon his people, and people will be drawn to it, and that is what is happening in those places. So what, what is happening, what God wants us to do is to keep it simple. Just use the equipment, or the equipment that God has given you as he gave the Lord Jesus to do what he wants, he wants us um, to do. Now, I can share quite a few things. There was a, a time I was, when I was working in the hospital, in the anesthetic room, a lady came in, and because she had taken out some of her clothes, I could see one of the worst forms of self-harm that I've seen. It, it was really, really bad. And I just thought, oh, Lord. And I was conscious of the doctor-patient thing. Uh, so what I said, can I ask you a question? Has anybody ever told you God loves you? That was all I said. She didn't answer me, but she had tears running down her cheeks. And a few seconds later, she said, no, nobody ever said that to me. I left it there. At the end of whatever we were doing in the recovery, I went to her. She still had tears in her eyes. I said, thank you very much for telling me that. Now, that baffled me a bit because this lady was about 50 years old, a white lady, nicely you know, dressed and things. And I thought, how could it be that there would be a lady living 50 years in this country and she never heard that God loves her? She must have friends who were Christians and other people like that. It baffled me. And I thought, okay, maybe she must have heard it. It just did not impact her the way it did that day. In other words, the simple words, God loves you, God can use it to do amazing things. Um, a few months ago, I went for a walk near our, our house, and I passed a gentleman who was sitting on a bench. 
he had his hoodie on and so I thought I should leave him alone. But as I, I leveled up with him, he raised his hand to acknowledge me. So I did the same and walked on. I walked on about, well, maybe 30 yards or so. And I was about to turn to the left, back on the road, back home. And suddenly I stopped. Why did you stop? And then I felt like I should go and say something to him. I didn't know what to say to him, but on obedience, I just turned and started walking towards him. As I did, he got up from the bench and walked towards me as well. So we met somewhere there. And I said, hi, sorry to bother you, but my name is Moses. Does it mean anything to you if I tell you God loves you? He just dropped on, on the grass, held his head in his hands and started sobbing. So I gave him time and he said, you know what? When you passed me on that bench, I was praying. Say, God, if you love me, send somebody to come and tell me. And then it was, I did not hear a voice. It was just in obedience. I just felt, go and say something. I didn't know what to say till I got there. And that was what came up. We have heard God loves you so often that maybe it's become a common thing to us. We don't value it. But it is powerful. Really, really powerful. As it turned out, he didn't know a bit about God, but he was being misled by somebody who claimed he was uh, Mm, reincarnated Jesus so he was being deceived anyway so we, we, we were talking about hearing uh, the, the voice of God yeah. the, the, if you don't know what to do just share what God has done for you that was what the Lord Jesus told um, the Gadarene demoniac as we referred to him isn't it the one who had so many demons in him that sent 2,000 pigs I think crashing into the, into the lake I want to follow you. Jesus said, no, 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 just go home. Go and tell your people what God has done for you. And that is all there is. If God has done something for you, you have something to share with somebody. You have something to share. So th there, are, there are lots of things we can go on, but the time is there. But I will share one more. <laughs> this used to be one of my, my favorite things. Uh, it was on the audio cassette I played and played and played. You know, his name is David Hamilton. He was imprisoned in Northern Ireland during the Troubles because he killed somebody. And whilst he was there, in his own words, he smoked half the Bible. He used to rip the pages of the Bible to roll his tobacco to smoke. So one day, he tore a piece, but before he rolled the tobacco, he decided to look at it. And, uh, you know, the way God does things. What he read was something about God loving him. And he thought, no, this can't be. God cannot be interested in somebody like me. But he couldn't shake the thought off. He said, even my own mother says I'm a hopeless kid, so how can a holy God be interested in me? He couldn't shake it off. Anyway, he waited for his cellmate to, to go to sleep. And then he knelt by the chair there and just said, God, even my own mother says I'm a hopeless case. If what I've just read is true, you love me, please take my life and sort it out. The long and the short of it is, he came out of jail and he became a pastor, he became a preacher. So the word of God, the word of God can touch people, even the smallest bits of it. Hearing God is not for the super spiritual. It is something that God has equipped us to do because that is the way, that is the way we function. If we don't hear him, how can we function? Quite often we think, oh, I want to hear God's voice and we have an idea how that voice should sound like. 
that's a misconception. God speaks to all of us in different ways. He knows you, he knows me more than we do ourselves, and he knows how to get our attention. He knows how to speak to us. And all we need to do is to first of all acknowledge the fact that as Pastor said, Job, I think it's Job 33, 14, God speaks all the time. The trouble is not God. The trouble is us. We don't listen. He speaks all the time, maybe a dream, maybe something, maybe a cloud, name it. God can use anything to speak to any of us anytime. It's good at that. The trouble is we don't pay attention or we have a wrong idea of what his voice should sound like. Just be like a child. How does a child know in a big crowd when the mother or father calls their name? Because they recognize the voice. How do they recognize the voice? Because they have spent time with their mother or their father. If we spend time in the presence of the Lord, we will learn to recognize when he is speaking to us. So let's do that. These are exciting times. God is doing amazing things in different parts of the world, and he wants to do the same thing in this fellowship. I believe that. And we thank God that our pastors are taking up what God wants to do here. And we need to follow. We need to cooperate with them. God is not just saying, as he says, just go and do it. He said, I am always with you, even at the end of the age. What Jesus is saying is, take me to people. Let me touch them. Just do in their lives only what I can do. I, I was thinking something the other day, and a picture came to me. It was like a, somebody who picks up a, a glass of what looks like water and about to drink it, and it's poison. Now, if you had somebody near you doing that and you knew it was poison, you wouldn't say, well, you know, I shouldn't disturb them. <laughs> you know, you, you will do something, won't you? You know, even if it means hitting the glass out of their hands, you might get a punch doing it, but you, you would at least save their life. But, if somebody is saved and they die from poison, they will still go to, to heaven. But what we are talking about here, the poison of sin, it's eternal. It poisons life. It destroys life. It will be permanent separation from God. If we will not let people drink physical poison to end their physical life, how can we not tell them about the salvation that Jesus Christ brought? Something that will take them out of hell eternally. It is a question of love, isn't it? Love your neighbor as yourself. How much do you love your neighbor? Would you let them drink poison? If not, the sin problem is worse than just drinking a poison. So let us be encouraged. Let's make it simple. The people who are seeing amazing things that God is doing, they are just being simple. Jesus says, follow me. He's always said that do like I do. That's all there is to it. Let's put our faith in him. It's a faith walk. As pastor said, we say, well, I might be rejected. Well, you might, but you'll be amazed how many people want something now. The darkness is really there. People want something. People really, really want something. Not many people will turn away in anger. Even if they say something to you, so what? Do you know what it costs Jesus for you to, to save you? The first time we went to Israel, I think it was in 2010, the Jewish um, tour guide gave a, a good description of what the crucifixion was like. 
and you see, we see the pictures and we see the loincloth and all that. The, the artist put it there just to make things decent. When you're crucified, you are stuck naked. And here was the Lord, a Jewish man, hung up there in front of the mother, the sisters, and all people shouting insults at him. But that was what he did for me. That was what he did for you. So what is it about being rejected? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. As the Father sent me, so send I you. Let's keep it simple. I will be amazed what God will do in our midst. Now, before I hand back to Pastor Andy, I'm just going to share something with you. Um, in 2018, sorry, 2018, 20, 2004, 18 years ago, one day, the Lord said something, something to me. And I wrote it down. The time was 11 o'clock in the morning on the 21st of February, 2004. And I called it the Lord's Challenge because that's what it was to me and I believe to be. Maybe I have shared some of this long time ago. I don't know, but I'm just going to read it as it came and I wrote it down. It says, if you truly love me, when was the last time you spoke to somebody? family member, a friend, or co-worker about me. Isn't it true that people talk to others about the person they love? Isn't passion that which character characterizes true love? Where is your passion for me? I am passionate about people and setting them free. My son came to die to set people free. If you have experienced being set free in your own life, why can't you bring people to me to set free? You are my ambassador to the world. How are you fulfilled that, that role? You do well in rescuing animals and pursuing environmental and such issues. Why then is it that you do not share my passion for human beings who are created in my image? If you truly love me as I love you, Show me this love by being co-workers with me to set people free who are in bondage all around you. If you truly believe that I, only I can sort out the problems of society and not governments, why are you not bringing people to me to sort out? Society can never change unless the individuals in it change. And only I can change them, truly change them, by making them new creatures. Don't just sing of your love for me. Show me your love by keeping my commandments, by being my true and faithful ambassadors, by being salt and light to society, and by fearing me more than you fear man. The only true relationship you can have with me is a dynamic and a passionate one. This is what First love means. God bless you. Thanks, Moses. Bless you, mate. God's a very practical God, and uh, He knows us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And uh, He said to the fishermen, disciples, "I will make you fishers of men." So He took something that they knew and He turned it into something that 
that he could use. And God might use you in some unusual ways that you've never been used before, but he'll not, um, he knows what you're skilled at and what you're good at. He's a very practical God like that. One, one morning, it was a Saturday morning, I just was laid awake in, in bed and uh, just sort of like beginning to start praying. And um, I just got a really strong sense that my friend Tim, who works in Elam's missions department now, um, needed my help. And um, so I, I said to Lisa, I said, uh, I just got a really strong feeling that Tim needs my help this morning. And obviously she had a list of jobs for me because that's what wives do on a Saturday morning. But uh, she just said, uh, well, you better ring him then, haven't you? So I rang him and he didn't answer the phone. And I could have quite easily said, oh, well, that's it. I've tried. I uh, couldn't leave him a message. And, uh, but I just thought, no, I'll ring him again. I'll ring him again. And so I, I pressed the redial and I rang him again. And after a while, he came to the phone, but he was obviously out of breath and in pain. And I said to him, are you all right, Tim? I've got, I just got a sense that I should ring you this morning. And he just sort of almost cried on the phone. He said, well, previously he'd had a car accident and he's got a really terrible pain in his neck all the time. And uh, he'd hired one of these enormous big drills from the hire shop because he was cutting a hole for his extractor fan in his oven. You know, it's really, God tells you to do some really strange things. And uh, he said, I just can't lift this drill up. Like, all my shoulder, my neck and everything like that. I said, mate, I'll be, I'll be round in 10 minutes. And I just jumped to my car, went round and we had it done within an hour. And, uh, you know, he was so, so relieved that, you know, he didn't have to battle through the pain or make himself ill or anything like that. And it was just a really simple thing that, uh, you know, I just felt God speaking in that way. John 15, which Moses was talking about there, 27 says this, You are my witnesses because you have been with me. Now, I would say there's three things that make us receptive to God, that enable us to be more receptive to God. Three things. I'm going to look at very briefly prayer, humility, and love. So when Jesus says, you are my witnesses because you have been with me, I would encourage you, get with Jesus. Get with him. Pray. Pray. Prayer is a lot more than just us talking. It's just being aware of God. Aware of what God is saying to you. Listening to God. Making room just to listen to him. Ask him. Is there anything you want me to do, Lord? Is there anybody on your heart, Lord? Is there anybody you want me to call or, or nip round and, uh, and see? Simple as that. Prayer is just listening and discerning what's on God's heart. Making yourself available to him. So you are my witnesses because you have been with me. Humility opens the door for the Holy Spirit to move. If you're full of yourself and you want to promote yourself, then that will extinguish everything. We live in a society, don't we, where we're constantly pressurized. Oh, I must put something. I must put something on social media. I must. I must keep my sort of profile up. I must do show people what I'm doing today or anything like that. And it's in a way we're sort of promoting ourselves. We will get used to that. But actually, the Holy Spirit wants us to promote Jesus, not ourselves. He wants us to get more inclined to talking about Him and what about He's doing and putting ourselves to the background. 
In the New Testament, we have Pentecost, and the reflection of that in the Old Testament is the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel, they all spoke the same language, and yet God confused them, and they weren't able to understand one another. In the New Testament, in Pentecost, they were all speaking different language, languages, and yet God enabled people to understand and to hear the praises of God. That's because the focus between the Old Testament and the New Testament was completely different. In the Tower of Babel, the people said, let's build this tower and make a name for ourselves. In the New Testament, well, there was a bit of a battle between the disciples saying, can we be the greatest? Can we sit on, uh, on your right-hand side, Jesus, when you enter your glory? But Jesus had dealt with all that, and the disciples, he'd enabled the disciples to deal with all that. So come Pentecost, their focus when they spilled that into the streets, was to go and magnify Jesus, to go and declare his greatness and his praises. So humility opens that door for the Holy Spirit to do something. So prayer, being aware of God and listening to God, humility, putting yourself to the background and putting him to the fore, and then love. God is love, John says, and he speaks in love, and through love. Love is the, this is a, a, a quote that I, I wish I'd, I'd remembered the, the person, the author who wrote it. He wrote this, love is the frequency on which God transmits his word. And we know, because we hear it often, for God so loved the world. God is love. And he wants us to Really feel that love for the world, for the people in your life, the people in my life, the people who we work with, even the awkward people. Remember Jonah? He didn't have love. He didn't have love, but such was God's love for the people, they repented and turned to him anyway. Didn't please Mo uh, Jonah. Jonah was absolutely livid. He was robbed of that joy by his own hatred. But love, prayer, humility, and love. We must have love. Are you, are you going to make yourself available for God's love today? Are you going to make yourself available for God to, to move through you? Are you going to have your ear opened by the Holy Spirit to move in that prompting? Because God's speaking all the time. I'm going to invite the, van back up, uh, the band back up. I probably told this story before, but it, I'll, I'll make it short. So my friend who I played cricket with was an Indian guy, and he got rushed into hospital one day because all his muscles in his lower legs were all rotten, necrotic. And he was only about 27, 28. And the prognosis was, you'll never, you'll never uh, run again, you'll never play cricket again, you'll never drive your car again, but you may be able to walk with, with the aid of crutches, but you will walk very awkwardly. And uh, I felt a prompting to go and pray for him. And I went to Pinderfields Hospital in Wakefield into this little room that he had, little private room. He, he worked for the NHS, so they treat him well. And uh, as I walked in, eight of the cricket team were there, including the four atheists that uh, told me not to say anything about Jesus to them because they went into all that mumbo-jumbo. And nobody knew what to say. And I walked in, 
And they looked at me and they said, uh, come on, Lenny, what do we do? They all called me Lenny, Andy Lenton. And, uh, and I said, well, I, I would pray. And I didn't even have to orchestrate it. They all got round his bed in a horseshoe and held hands, even with his Hindu family who had just come over from Madras because they'd heard he was in hospital. And then the pressure was on. I had to pray my best prayer. <laughs> and I was thinking, oh, Lord, what do I pray? And I simply prayed, God, we don't know what to do. Lord, the doctors don't know what to do. Only you know what to do. So will you do it? And everybody said, Amen. And within a month, he was back driving his car, running on the cricket field. <laughs> and every guy in my cricket team who worked in the pathology department and brought up in a scientific way, it blew their mind, including the atheists. And they said, how come, you're, how come you, can, you can run? How come you can play cricket? How come you can drive your big Mercedes? The doctor said you would never do that. And his very words were, well, you prayed for me. He didn't even say Andy prayed for me. He said, you prayed for me. And he pointed to the atheists. They would no longer call themselves atheists. All those four guys. God did something there. They would call themselves agnostics. They're not quite followers of Jesus yet. But God showed up. God showed up. And all I would encourage you to do is like step out. When you hear that voice of God, check your own heart. Say, Lord, keep me humble here. Help me reach out in love. But step out. And even if God gives you the very words to say that God loves you, that's all you need to say. Don't say any more. But maybe he'll give you more. Maybe he'll ask you to pray for people. Maybe he will. Let me encourage you to stand.